Good evening, and welcome to College Success for You. This is Professor Soriano, your host from Seton Hall University and Keene University. I hope you tune in every week and listen to some insightful commentary about the tips and tricks your mama never told you about college life. Good evening again, and welcome to College Success for You, where you'll learn the tips and tricks that your mama never told you about college life. Tonight's topic is your inner critic controlling your life. Well, let's see if it is. You get excited about a great idea you have. You think of how it'll work, and you feel great about doing something to better yourself or the lives of others. But in the back of your mind, that critical voice comes in and throws you off track. Before you know it, your ideas fizzle out, your excitement vanishes, and you just don't believe the goals you set for yourself are worth it. We're going to look into why this keeps happening and what you can do about it when we return after this note for our sponsor. Hello and welcome back. Now, we're going to start this off with a once upon a time transition. I kind of like the once upon a time transition. I don't know why, but it's it's just cool. You know, it's that fairy tale kind of thing. Once upon a time. All right. So once upon a time, there was an old brain. A little boy or girl was corrected for doing something as simple as spilling milk or cereal. He took in his mother or father's facial expression, tone of voice, and body language. Well, it was inevitable that as the child grew up, She or he was prone to mistakes, and therefore prone to criticism, delivered most likely with the same tone, facial expressions, or body language. So, when the child is in school at a young age, and the teacher criticizes him or her, or another student criticizes him or her, if that facial expression of the parents, or tone of voice of the parents, or the body language of the parents, that was behind the criticism, is reflected in the teacher's criticism or the friend's criticism or somebody else's criticism, it's going to immediately trigger what's called the inner critic. Something like, there's something wrong with me. I must be, I must be lame. Um, I can't do anything right. You know, we start thinking these thoughts based on old experiences and that's why i say the old brain so the 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 old brain the the parts of the old brain uh, more specifically the amygdala stores these situations stores these memories into the hippocampus and um, they get re-triggered so it's sort of like a tape running in the back of your mind or in your subconscious mind or unconscious mind rather you know they're out of awareness so if somebody looks at me a certain way, like at my age, I'm an adult, right? But if somebody looks at me a certain way and that certain way reflects the way I was criticized as a child, let's say my father's expression, he, he used to frown when he criticized me, you know, with his lips turned downward, like, mm. um, so let's say somebody frowns at me and says something negative. It doesn't really matter what they say. It's that frown that's coming through, which triggers the old brain, my memory, 
and I think, oh my God, I'm being criticized. You know, there must be something wrong with me. I, I, I made a mistake. I can't do anything right <laughs> because that's how I was thinking as a child. So because that memory was triggered by way of that frown, that's what I'm going to be thinking as an adult. However, I'm not a child anymore. So I need to use my adult brain, which we're going to later see the new brain and make decisions <laughs> based on you know, the reality in the situation. So as I said, this is kind of related to our, our previous podcast in which we uh, were discussing, you know, ways that, that, that people set themselves up to failure. Um, so if I listen to my inner critic enough, you know, I'll just, just keep failing. I just won't try anything new or I'll think I'm incapable of trying something new. All right. So that's where we're going tonight. Um, we're going to take a look at the, one of the culprits of ways that uh, make us feel, let's say, bad about ourselves, just for a general term. So you learn to take advice from your parents, your teachers, and your neighbors because they were trying to protect you and civilize you. I mean, this is n a normal kind of sequence of growing up. And so your old brain forms strategies to keep you safe and keep these people supporting you and taking care of you even though their advice was cloaked in criticism. Okay, so how, you know, how do you really criticize someone without it coming off as criticism or harsh criticism? You know, you've heard the term constructive criticism, but even, uh, you know, in teaching, when we use constructive criticism, not everybody reacts to it as constructive. Some people look at it as an attack, even though the tone may be, let's say, neutral, or the tone could even be compassionate, a lot of students don't like to hear that they need to improve or that they had made mistakes. But is that really the reality of the situation? So if your sociology teacher tells you that you, you need to substantiate your research with uh, three or four more sources and you start freaking out, oh my God, he hates me. Uh, he thinks I, I, I suck, you know, uh, that's, that's a little bit of an overreaction. So you find three or four more sources. That was the criticism. That was a constructive criticism, assuming it was couched in, in a, um, in a constructive tone or a supportive tone, you know, the tone of helping, you know, if you said, you know, your paper really stinks, you need three more, uh, three more sources and if you don't have it by uh tomorrow at 12 o'clock you're going to get an f on the paper that that's not constructive criticism so i'm not talking about that so <laughs> let's separate those two right now all right so as a result of this criticism uh, from growing up you know not just in the house but in school on the playground you know, on your sports teams as you're growing up, you know, this coaches, you know, when you're a little kid, this coaches who coach your little league or your football or your softball or your, um, you know, field hockey, you know, they could be a little harsh too. And you're going to take in their facial expressions and their tone of voice and their body language. So as a result, your old brain was far more concerned with your safety and survival. It was more attuned to meeting your needs of having food, water, love, and support. So you could say it was your reptilian brain. All right. So I want food. I want water. I want love and I want support. 
I need that for survival. If I'm being criticized, I'm being denied a form of survival. That's how the, the old brain works. Now, I'm not saying that, that <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that because that's how it, how it is. But we don't need to carry those rules for survival into adulthood. I mean, if you're hungry, go to McDonald's and grab a burger, right? You know, cook, your, cook yourself up a bacon and egg sandwich. I mean, you, you have the capabilities of feeding yourself. You're thirsty, go to the refrigerator, get a refrigerator, get a bottle of water. Drink a nice cold Coke. Better yet, go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a frozen coffee because they're awesome. All right. Love and support. Talk to a friend. If you're removed from your hometown, you're living on campus, call a friend, a close friend. A live call or a Zoom call, better yet, or a FaceTime call. See their faces. Hear their voices. Right? You can do these things for yourself. If somebody criticizes that you, you don't have to go into a funk. Right? Say, oh, I suck. I'll never get anywhere. I'm just going to stay in. Roommates, you guys go out, you know, go to the party or go to the dance. I'm going to stay in and, and, and watch old movies. All right? Who's making that choice there? You are. Who's going to fall into the self-pity trap? Well, you are. Who's going to actually put yourself into the self-pity pit? You are. So, your old brain formed your inner critic. The child goes to elementary school and junior high, and of course, the teachers have to correct them. And there's a good chance, you know, one or two teachers or maybe more, one or two teachers' criticism matches those of the parents or, or other caregivers in, their, in the student's earlier life. And even if it doesn't, the criticism is still there and matches the criticism and can match the criticism of the past. So we are creatures of habit. And habit or old behaviors is a form of habit. So it's the old behaviors of the people who were close to you form a mental habit of your expectations of them. And you form habits on how to deal with that. And that's what the inner critic does. Oh, I'm getting the criticism. I'm getting that frown. That means I stink at something. So eventually the inner critic could take charge. They could just knock us on our ass. And just keep us from doing the things that we want to do. Or the things that we need to do such as studying for a test that we think is too hard, the inner critic comes in and says, you know what, don't even bother. You're probably going to fail the test anyway. You know it's hard. Why'd you even take this course? And if you let that voice go on and on and on, it'll pound you into the ground. And so there's something that has to be done, which we'll get to in a minute, to placate that inner critic. And I'm not saying we could wipe it out, you know, because it's a part of our psyche. We're, we're not really going to wipe it out, but we can learn to deal with it. We can learn to manage it. And we could even learn to shut it up for a while, you know, like, hey, stifle it, inner critic. I got things to do. So this child is now in college and wants to try out for the cheerleading squad. But the critic tells her she'll be a flop. Another student wants to join the debate team. 
but the critic tells her, ah, you'll embarrass yourself. Why even bother? You can never debate anyway. You can't even talk too well. Inner critic could be very vicious. You know, it's sort of like, you know, inner critic, shut up. If I could see you, I'd like to smack you around the room. <laughs> but of course we can't do that. <laughs> it would be great if we could, right? Hey, get out here, you know. Let me see what you let me let's see what you got. You know, have a boxing match with it. In my case, I would Tai Chi, my inner critic, teach it a lesson. Okay. In fact, every time the young adult feels the need to do something fulfilling or worthy, and I'm gonna say he or she, or sometimes I say shahi, meaning she or he, like S forward slash he. You have to watch those pronouns, you know, and try to be politically correct in this day and age, which, by the way, is a real pain in the ass. So I'm not very good at being politically correct, but that's okay. That's me. Okay. So every time, in fact, every time the young adult feels the need to do something fulfilling or worthy, it takes a little bit of a risk or a little bit of courage. That damn inner critic comes along and stomps out his or her desires. Now, maybe it doesn't do it every time, but it does it enough. And you guys know what I mean. You want to ask a girl for a date or a girl wants to ask a guy for a date. The inner critic comes in and says, no, don't do that. You'll embarrass yourself. You know he's going to say no anyway. You know she's going to turn you down. Maybe she's going to tell you that she has to wash her hair on a Saturday night and that she can't go out on a date with you. I mean, it'll come up with all kinds of weird things if you let it. Okay, so by the time the college student reaches full adulthood, the inner critic has talked him out of attaining his hopes and dreams and aspirations. They have been crushed into fine gravel on the pavement of life. Nice metaphor. Who came up with that? The adult feels unworthy and hopeless and even believes that the inner critic is really his or her own true self. Or why else would the critic exist in the first place? So that's where people mistaken the inner critic for being part of their, well, you could call it true self or part of their, their natural identity. Indigenous people uh, usually call it the totality of oneself. But is that your totality? Your, your, your inner critic? Is the total you? That, that's all you're made of is, is inner critic. Think about that for a second. Because you know right now, as well as anybody else who's listening, that your inner critic is not your full you. You have plenty of strengths. You have plenty of talents. You have plenty of, of, of positive character traits. You also have negative character traits. That's true. So I'm not going to overlook that fact and make this sound like a fairy tale. Yes, we have positives. We have negatives. We have strengths. We have weaknesses. And that's all part of being human. But your inner critic is not the total you. You, behind the inner critic, you who observe that inner critic in action, that's you. And you have to step up into the forefront and not let the inner critic run the show. So some of you may think that there's no such thing as an inner critic. Maybe you're not bothered by an inner critic, and that's possible too. But your reality may tell you different. You hear him in your doubts. You hear her in your dreams. You hear him or her in your lack of courage to try new things or to visit new places. 
So we need to look at various ways to defeat the critic by integrating it, integrating it into our lives when we return from our sponsor's message. We know that the inner critic was formed in childhood because of our old brain's function to protect us. It cautioned us soon after we hurt ourselves or did something stupid, like pry our toast from the toaster oven with a metal, a mental, yeah, mental knife, with a metal knife. A friend of mine did that. Is Pete? I can't tell you his last name, but Pete. Uh, the, the toast didn't come up from the toaster. So, uh, Pete's father or mother was telling us the story, you know, in front of poor Pete, and that was his form of criticism. But Pete laughed it off because you know Pete's an idiot like that. But you know things just washed over him. But but it it it, it stung. It hurt. Because, it, you know, the mother said it in front of everybody else. Oh, yeah. Well, Peter tried to pry the piece of toast out of, out of the toaster using a, uh, a metal knife. And before you know it, pop, Pete, my son Peter, flies backward across the room and into the wall. Yeah, because he shocked himself. <laughs> the, electri the electrical shock shot him across the kitchen floor. So, and I mean, it's funny now because Pete survived, but that, that could have been really tragic. Um, so I think Pete stayed away from, uh, from toasters. I don't think he even likes toast anymore. However, <clears throat> or we climb a ladder. Here's a good one I've seen a lot of people do. And I think I'm guilty of this one too. Climb a ladder with our bare feet and come slipping off it to almost break our necks. That's a, that's a good one, right? Oh, yeah, Dad, I could get up on this ladder. I'll help you out. You know, you don't put your sneakers on. Well, you should put, you know, construction boots on or, or at least boots that uh, brace your ankles. But no, we'll go up barefoot and, and you know, just uh, take our chances, so to speak. So we have to use our new brain, our ability to think in the present moment. And again, that comes back to the observer in podcast number two. Um, it's really important to do that. But the first thing you need to understand is now you're not a kid anymore. So when you're faced with making a decision about a great idea you've come up with, you don't have to rely on the critic to tell you what to do. In other words, you need not follow the inner critic's warnings because you can follow your own adult decision-making skills. This new way of, of ignoring the inner critic is part of your new brain, and you could use it without restriction. Like other techniques mentioned in the previous podcast, the first step is to focus on your breathing and be aware of it, slowing it down to a normal pace. Because as I said before, your breathing reflects the speed of your thoughts. So if, if your thoughts are racing all over the place, your breathing is, you're breathing too quickly. You're not in your normal pace. Then acknowledge the inner critic. Accept its presence. Quote, I see you're back again and sending me a message. I appreciate you being here. Unquote. This will take the steam out of the inner critic and help it feel accepted and needed. And that's what you want to do. You're not going to beat it. You don't want to get into a fight with it. So you want to accept it, that it's here. To, it's, it really thinks it's trying to help you. But we know better because it's criticizing us. All right. So after all, in your childhood, the inner critic was needed to keep you out of trouble. 
or from feeling pain, but now is not then. As a young adult, you don't have to follow the dictates of your old brain or your inner critic. Uh, you're not concerned with survival or food or living up to your parents' standards anymore. You can create your own standards. So you are free to follow a new path, a path that you carve out for yourself. It's time. So when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Little humor from Yogi Berra. You can talk to your inner critic and ask what it's concerned about and listen for an answer. Give thanks to its answer, but firmly tell it that you know that that you know that your inner critic is not in charge of the decisions anymore, but you would still like to hear its point of view. So you see what we're doing here. We're placating the critic. We're giving it credit for being there, but we're also asserting, not aggressively, we're asserting our true self-authority to be who we want to be or to be who we are. Critic, I appreciate what you're trying to do. I do. However, I, agree, I disagree with your suggestions. It's time that I run the show. And you could even take this so far as to say, inner critic, shut your face. I'm not listening to you. I need to make the, my own decisions. Little by little, every time that critic comes up and every time you practice this system of dealing with it, it'll weaken the inner critic. Little by little, okay, you're not going to get rid of this in one night, you know, so you got to be patient. Oh, my God, you know, there's that word patient. Why can't I have things when I want them, you know, like in a fairy tale? Why can I do that? I wish the critic would go away. And so if I wish he'll go away, he'll go away. If you keep thinking like that, you're going to be the dog chasing its tail. This technique frees you up by breaking up the energy of the inner critic. It also clears the mind so that new ideas and motivation for doing the things you want to do, the things that you decide are important, the things that you decide are productive, not the stupid things like, you know, go skinny dipping in, in, the, in the local lake in the daylight or something. Therefore, when the inner critic strikes, you'll face a fork in the road. Do I follow the inner critic's advice? Do I let it beat me up? Do I let it dictate my life? Or am I going to take that pause that we talked about in the last podcast be between stimulus and response? Am I going to slow down, take that pause, and decide what's best for me? Again, it comes down to an existential choice. Now, American Indians have a way of dealing with the inner critic. And I, I'm going to read you an excerpt from a book called Tales of Power by Carlos Castaneda. And his Indian teacher said or suggested for him to remove himself from the inner critic whenever the inner critic strikes. And the inner critic is really good at striking at night, you know, when everything's quiet. And there's not a lot of stimulation, you know, and all those little fears <laughs> pop up like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Is Nancy going to accept my date? Is, um, you know, 
is Matilda, <laughs> is Matilda going to go out with me? Or the girl might be thinking, oh my God, you know, my parents are going to be so disappointed if I, if I major in music versus music, uh, major in law. I mean, it, it'll, it'll tear you up. You have to be quote, you need to learn to be unavailable right now. You're available all the time. So you leave yourself open to this criticism. But what does it mean to be unavailable? So Don Juan, as the name of his Indian teacher, says, again, this is a quote, to be unavailable means that you avoid exhausting yourself and others. You deliberately avoid exhausting yourself through excessive worry or through listening to the critic, you know? You have to make yourself unavailable to the critic. Turn your back on it. Hello. Goodbye. You don't take more than you need, especially when it comes to worrying. Yeah, you could worry. You could have a thought of worry. But are you going to indulge in worry? Because the more you indulge in it, the worse the worry gets. And, of course, it's a waste of energy, and it doesn't get you anywhere anyway. To worry is to become accessible unwittingly accessible and once you worry you cling to anything out of desperation and once you cling you are bound to get exhausted or to exhaust whoever or whatever you are clinging to so if you cling to that inner inner critics dialogue and the emotions that it triggers in you and to the other negative thoughts that it triggers in you you're just going to be exhausted because you're not going anywhere you're not solving the problem. And like the Einstein quote said, you can't solve the problem from the state of mind in which the problem was created. Don Juan goes on to say, it does not mean to hide or to be secretive or not deal with people. He says, touch the world tenderly. Do not squeeze it. Do not force it. Then as long as you need to, swiftly, Move away without a mark. Goodbye, inner critic. I'm taking charge now. I'm in the seat of power. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my decisions. I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate your, your, your getting me here, even though we've had many ups and downs. But it's my turn to lead and that's how we deal with the inner critic. So the moral of the story is, on the once upon a time, once upon a time there was an inner critic, and once upon a, once upon a time that inner critic relinquished control and allowed the true self to run the show. Now, this takes practice, but I'm sure you'll have plenty of time to practice since the inner critic will probably keep bothering you every day. Any doubt? Any setback, any assignment comes up that puts you in a position that you have to be productive, that you have to exert yourself, that you have to study, that you have to write an essay. Oh, my God. Uh, that no crit critical pop up, try and divert you. And thus, it could cause procrastination, too, which was one of our podcast uh, episodes. So, everybody, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, I'd love to see you guys put this information to work. 
Um, you could ask questions on our website, call it a success for you. Uh, and and we, we try to answer those um, in a timely manner. We try, but, but sometimes there's a lot of questions there. And, um, you know, I'm still teaching six courses and my assistants are, are full-time students. So uh, we might not get back to you like immediately, but we'll get back to you. So thanks again. Time to put your inner critic on the back burner. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed listening to College Success For You. I'm your host, Professor John Soriano, coming to you from Seton Hall University and Kane University. I hope to uh, see you all next week, or rather have you all tune in next week for another episode of some insightful commentary about college. Have a good evening.